Hi, this is Steve. For pretty much the last year, John and I have been talking about doing more live shows on YouTube to answer your questions and connect with the Cinephiles community. At the same time, we've been looking for the best way to cover lesser films on the Cinephiles. You know, the kind of movies that are definitely worth talking about, but not necessarily worth doing the serious, deep dive you'd expect from a regular Cinephiles episode. At one time or another, we've called them quick takes or Cinephiles mediums and a whole bunch of other names that didn't quite work. But regardless of the name, we knew that Godfather Part 3, or Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, would be our first one. A couple of days ago, it finally occurred to us that we could actually kill two birds with one stone by bringing these episodes onto YouTube for a monthly live stream. And we even came up with a name, Cinephiles Live. That's right. One Friday of every month at 2 p.m. Pacific time, the Cinephiles will go live on YouTube to discuss a single film. Maybe it'll be a lesser film in a series like Godfather 3, Star Trek 3, or <laughs> Rocky 3. Maybe it'll be a guilty pleasure or a small film from the distant past. Maybe this is where we'll do tributes to actors we've lost. And guess what else? That pesky 10-year rule doesn't count on Cinephiles Live. More importantly, Cinephiles Live is an opportunity for you to take part in the conversation, whether that's comments in the live chat, questions via Streamlabs or Super Chats, or even coming on camera to talk with us. We want to hear from you. In particular, once John and I are done dissecting Coppola's Coda, we will open it up for a discussion of the Godfather films in general. So my guess is those of you who have followed us through all of these episodes have probably built up a fair amount of opinions. Maybe you think we've completely missed the boat on these movies. Maybe you have different interpretations of Michael's actions or answers to some of the many questions we just couldn't figure out. Maybe you've spent the last seven episodes wanting to scream at us because we are so completely wrong. Well, cinephiles, this is your chance to join the conversation. So this Friday, March 12th at 2 p.m. on our YouTube channel will be our very first Cinephiles Live on The Godfather Part 3. And don't worry, if you can't make the live show, an audio-only version will be on our regular podcast feed that night. Can't wait to see you all on Friday. everyone and a welcome to our first ever official episode of the cinephiles live we have done live shows in the past but this is our first official launch of a new uh show that we are determined to do every month uh so that we can have even more interactions with you as fans followers and viewers and listeners of the cinephiles uh i am one of your hosts i am the outlaw john roca Joined as always by the the man extraordinaire, the research extraordinaire, the filmmaker extraordinaire, Steve Morris. Steve, how are you? 
I'm good. That's quite an introduction. I don't know if I quite <laughs> qualify as filmmaker extraordinaire when we're when we're talking about Francis Ford Coppola today. I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think that's a good comparison. Well, I, I think it's fair to give you some credit and some love. And certainly so many of the fans and the viewers have been enjoying our show for so many years, Steve. And one of the big reasons, of course, is a lot of the research that you do, the editing that you do on these shows. It's incredible. Uh, and you've been very kind to kind of slide me into this position for the live shows where I'm kind of leading us into these discussions, but relying on all your knowledge and research about The Godfather. And Lord knows, Steve, we have had so many weeks tackling the Corleone saga or Corleone saga. We have done it all uh, from one to two. And then now today we're talking about three as well. We even had a nice conversation about Francis Ford Coppola's legacy as a filmmaker to start this whole thing off. And this is one of the biggest anomalies that we've ever done as a show, Steve. Usually we take a month. We have taken almost three months for, yeah. or at least starting into a third month, for uh, uh, tackling the Godfather series and franchise. It's it's like I've just been living Godfather <laughs> I, forever. It's become the Godfather show. And and it, it's like, it's almost feels weird. I know we're theoretically scheduled to record our next movie on mm. Tuesday of next week. It has nothing to do with the mafia. It has nothing to do with immigrants. Francis Ford Coppola is entirely not involved, and that feels right. really weird <laughs> because this is all we've been doing. <laughs> true, true. But it does have to do with uh, trying to let go of old norms and embrace the future, uh, and certainly that is part of The Godfather sure. 3, Part 3 and The Godfather Coda. And I want to thank everybody who's joining us live, seeing so many familiar names. Thank you all so much. Uh, we are going to be doing one of these shows every month going forward. That's our commitment to do one of these live shows. We will, So we would appreciate you telling all the other cinephiles, followers, fans, and friends of the show who, enjoy, who you enjoy talking with about our show. Get them to find, get them on board the YouTube channel that we're at now. Get them to subscribe. If you haven't subscribed, do that now. Hit that like button as well on this the thumbs up button and uh, send in your uh, donations or send in your questions. Your Streamlabs and the Super Chats are both open for us here on the Cinephiles Live and what we're doing. And I'll put the uh, address in the chat here. Pin it in the chat uh, for uh, all of us to uh, discuss already. Uh, we've got one here. Steve Dave or D Duvall 59 says, just want to let you guys know that I rewatched the trilogy after listening to your deep dives. And I finally understood just how great these movies are. So thank you, John and Steve. Steve, that must be great to hear, uh, especially all the hard work uh, we've put into the show, but certainly you more than me. Uh, what's your feeling when you hear this? I It's great. I mean, you know, you, I've said to you so many times that the the biggest joy of the cinephiles for me is getting to make with you things that I'm proud of and have mm. people enjoy them. You know, I mean, that's Absolutely. that that is the whole reward. That is 90 percent of the reward for me is that the work is appreciated. And so and in particular, to be able to direct someone to a great film, that's mm -hmm. giving something to their life. And that's fantastic. That's, yeah, that's a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, do you take a response like uh, and we'll get into the Godfather three and Coda in just a second. But, you know, we've taken so many years to jump into this franchise, Steve. There have been calls for many since we started the show there have been calls for us to tackle the godfather godfather part two or the entire saga itself uh and we have resisted those calls for one reason or another until it was finally time for us to do it and i have to feel and i don't want to 
toot our own horn a little bit, but I have to feel that most of the people, if not all the people who've responded to us, feel like we have done it a service, a very grand service, and it was worth the wait. Do you, are you sensing that from some of the uh, reactions and the comments we've gotten as well? It, it's It's been great. I mean, it, it clearly has struck a chord with people. It clearly has been, you know, and it, it as the show has gotten longer and longer, you know, I mean, I'm can be a fairly <laughs> long-winded person and I've certainly been at lots of parties where people have gone, okay, Steve, that's enough. That's it. Let's, let's go to something else. And we live in a world that's populated by Twitter and hot takes and, you know, a review, a movie review lasts five minutes, you yeah. know, yeah. like, and so the fact that, that everyone has embraced this, you know, we had people, uh, tweeting at us like i want this to be 20 parts yeah you know and yeah. i mean it, it, it's and, and i think too i am definitely not of the everything happens for a reason philosophy mm. that's not the way i think but i think we held off on citizen kane until we were ready to do it yeah i think you know it was entirely accidental that we didn't do a hitchcock film for so long yes. but that meant that we could spend a whole month doing it and that's mm -hmm what solidified this idea of doing a whole month of something, yeah. you know, when we did seven samurai, we were ready to do seven samurai. And I really feel like with all the cinephiles we have under the, our belts that we had so much that we could bring to the Godfather, which had we done it in the first year, it would have been nothing like this, you yeah, know, so I it happened the way it did. I think that's a great point you bring up. We kind of had to find our own stride as a podcast, as a show, overall so that we could feel we were ready to tackle it and yeah uh maybe you're right things don't always happen for a reason you can believe one thing or the other about that particular concept but certainly i think some things do happen for a reason or happen at the time they're supposed to happen and certainly uh, i agree with you i echo that sentiment that it seemed like this was the time for us to finally tackle it and give it its just due and it's been a blast it's been such yeah. a pleasure to kind of revisit what I remember being one of the foundational um, films for me as a cinephile, or foundational series, rather, uh, as a cinephile growing up as a teenager in my 20s, buying the books that broke down all the symbolism and the oranges and the X's and all that stuff. Um, and it was great to kind of revisit it all with you and hear even more information that I didn't even know about and revisit some of the stuff that I'd forgotten about. It was great. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And there was so much. It was so funny because you and I both came in prepared. Yes. We both obviously knew the movies really well. Mm -hmm. And both of us discovered things over and over again during the conversation. Like you yes. would say something that would trigger something in my mind. Yeah. And then there would be all of a sudden you would go, oh, my God, I never thought about this before. And we say so. it was that was what makes that's when the cinephiles is working really well for yeah. me is yeah. when when the conversation is so exciting with you and we're both learning so much that's the best yeah i can't i couldn't agree with you more uh and just to let you all know thank you for all the super chats you're sending in i just pinned the Streamlabs address there in the chat so if you want to send in stuff through Streamlabs, youtube takes 30 percent, so we'd appreciate more of the Streamlabs. Keep sending in the Super Chats if that's the only way you can send in your comments. We appreciate that, too. But sending it in through Streamlabs, it gets uh, more money to us, more of your money directly to us rather than to YouTube. So just letting him know there right off the bat. Uh, Philippe Hunt sent us something as well. Philip Hunt, said, literally rented the coda for this discussion. I've always loved this film, flaws and all. I think Pacino is hauntingly brilliant. I think Garcia and Shire are outstanding. Love the show, guys. Uh, okay. 
I, I, here, here's my first spoiler alert. I think Pacino's performance is great. Yep. I think this, I think, but I have lots of problems with what he was asked to do. Yeah, and we're going to get into it for sure. Steve and I texted uh, a few times while I was watching the Coda earlier this week and kind of breaking it all down. We're going to be doing that here in just a few, a few seconds and uh, giving our full thoughts about both The Godfather Part 3. Oh, sorry. Oh, giving our full thoughts about The Godfather Part 3, The Godfather Coda, and then the Corleone Saga, saga overall uh, for sure as we go along. And Philip, we may be agreeing with you partly and disagreeing with you partly as well. We shall see, my friend. But that's the joy of these movies, subjective nature. John Getz says, I was born in 1992, so I have to ask, what was it like leading up to this film? When it was announced, did you freak out? Were you there opening night? So, Steve, should we just jump into our discussion here and, and circle Absolutely, back on these? Yeah. Let's do it. So what was your experience? It's my turn to turn the tables. Steve, <laughs> when did you first discover The Godfather Part Three? And also, let's answer John's question. What do you remember the buildup being? It was a for me. It was a big buildup because this yeah. is right. You know, this is the the end of my college experience. It's right when I was starting to rent all the great films, and I didn't know if I knew the word cinephile, but like that was what I was starting to become. And mm -hmm. so at that point, I'd watched both Godfather films several times, and I was so excited. Apocalypse Now was one of my favorite films. I was ready to go. I went with some friends. I can't remember if it was opening night, but it was certainly in the opening weekend. Mm. I'm pretty sure I saw it in a movie theater in Berkeley. And I had that, you know, it's, this is good. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is, no, no, this is good. This is, and then walking out still kind of trying to, mm -hmm. and there, there are beautiful things in it. There are really good things in it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it was sort of that, the bad taste in my mouth kind of grew over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's, 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 you know, we, we you, it came up on Twitter today of like most disappointing films. And mm. this is like, I, in, in the end, I think it's sort of a sad experience to me. Yeah. Yeah. I have to echo your feeling or your sentiments as well, Steve. I remember being incredible. I mean, this is in, you know, I'm just turned 20. I'm excited. I'm going crazy. I've, I've been in love with Godfather 2 and Godfather 1, uh, you know, shared those on Christmas Day with my dad. That was our tradition to watch oh, those right, back to right. back. So for me, it was like the hype was off the charts, even more so than for just about anything uh, I had ever seen up to that point. Right. I was so excited to go into the theater and see it. And uh, I'm with Steve. I walked out of it with this horrible feeling of like, why don't I feel this was as great as I thought it was going to be? Is it expectations? Is it just not that good? Because um, the Pacino performance is fantastic. The end moment is maybe the greatest moment of the series in terms of emotion. Um, yeah. And then, and, but also feeling like this doesn't feel like the Godfather. There's not that like nobility, that that grace amongst the amongst the um, dirt uh, that you always enjoyed about the Godfather. You know, like even in in the first one, it was Brando's performance and Vito, that, and there was this kind of like just kind of elevated approach to the material. Uh, it's what took gangster movies from a B genre into an A genre. And then in Godfather Part Two, it's so expansive. It's international. It's touching on historical stuff uh, from Murder, Inc. in our past, in our actual past as a country. And then we get to Godfather Part Three, and he's attacking the church. 
you've got an uninspiring villain. You've got it, it. I think it just went a step too far. And there are a lot of issues that I had coming out of it with some of the acting, some of the look of the film, uh, some of the approach to the movie, as Steve just highlighted as well. So, yeah, th that's the feeling that I had. And I was supremely disappointed. I think I remember just driving around in my car because I don't know if you know this. I'm a pretty dramatic guy sometimes, but I remember <laughs> my 20s just driving around in my car for hours. I think I remember just like trying to talk my head into liking the movie. Uh, and so just a, a, an experience uh, on that level. Um, but Steve, let's go back to you. I mean, we have now just revisited the coda, which, uh, which is loosely a director's cut of uh, the Godfather part three. Not a lot of scenes were added. Some stuff was cut. Uh, a change. The, the beginning is different. The ending is different. Um, what are your feelings about the coda? Did anything change here? for you so so let me first preface this by saying i think the fact at least for me mm -hmm. that i have lived so exclusively with the godfather films up to this point literally spending two plus months of thinking about the corleone's researching them contemplating it i think that did a tremendous disservice to this movie uh -huh. because it's all so fresh in my head. And you and I have such strong opinions yep. about who Michael Corleone is. And I, that, it, that is the essence of why this movie doesn't work. And as mm -hmm. to the, the changes in the coda, I think there is an um, incremental improvement of a movie that's not that good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do I think it's better that they cut out the opening of Michael getting the whatever award thing? Yeah. yeah. Do I think it's better that we move the meeting to the beginning? Cause that more mirrors what we saw in the other Godfather films with mm -hmm. the cutting back and forth with the party. Yeah. Do I think the change in the ending makes much difference at all? No. <laughs> do I think it's better that it's a little shorter? Yeah. Because it's not that great a movie. So getting through it so faster is almost always better. Right. Do I think it transformed the film? No, not at all. What yeah. about you? Yeah, I think I have to agree with you, Steve. It didn't transform the movie for me at all. And it made it almost worse in 2021 to go back and rewatch this because, yeah, the beginning is different. But the beginning doesn't, be doesn't start with that magic like the first one and the second one does. And, yes, there's a ceremony that we eventually get to. But right off the bat, it's this meeting with this corrupt cardinal uh, in the Vatican, uh, you know, having this conversation with Michael Corley, 500 million. And then we start off the bit, look, people are going to come after me if you want to come after me. Some of the casting in this movie is terrible. Uh, George Hamilton has no business being in a Godfather movie. That's when you start to understand that this movie was made in the 90s. We we're way too lenient about some of our cheese in the 90s. And Lord knows, I've defended George Hamilton yeah. on Zorro the Gay Blade. But I know where George Hamilton belongs and where he doesn't belong. And no offense to Mr. Hamilton, but he doesn't belong in the Godfather saga. And neither does Father Guido Sarducci from the from the SNL. Neither does Don Novello. They just immediately put me in a different place mentally. Immediately. There's not that kind of authenticity that you got from the opening of Godfather 1 from the opening of Godfather 2, because Senator uh, Leahy or Leary, whatever his name is, he is that actor is authentically that senator. You can believe that's a senator uh, who is kind of corrupt and dirty. And so from the beginning, my mind's like, mm, 
and there's this idea of wanting to take over the Vatican. Uh, and so as we go along, I just found myself finding Andy Garcia to be cartoonish at times, really not in the vibe. No, no one's going to hand over the kingdom to a guy who was biting people's ears off literally a few weeks ago, who is having a relationship with your daughter uh, that you know shouldn't be happening. First cousins should not be hooking up, for God's sakes. There's so much about it. I'm just like, ah, this doesn't feel good. And I actually don't like the ending that they cut him off falling over and dying. I almost thought that was a better ending than some random quote about Sicilians never forgetting. So uh, what do you, uh, back to you, Steve. Well, what, what do you well, <laughs> well, you put out a lot of stuff there. Uh, <laughs> I totally agree about Father Guido Sarducci, who I always liked him. Of course. That, but, but, but when this is, there's, there's a weird thing about casting, which is, and this is true of both uh, Don Novello and George Hamilton, which is there is the, casting a person who can play this role and do a good job yes but there also is what is all of our baggage about that particular actor right and in the case of both of them there's a lot of baggage like and and the thing with george hamilton i don't think he does anything bad i think he's fine but i also blame the script because you think about what robert duvall had to do in both films how much emotional range he had to show how many i mean just the scenes with uh waltz Mm -hmm. you know where he takes all those insults and he's totally businesslike him arguing with Sonny, him getting threatened by michael him him hearing michael say that he loves him as a brother and like all of that stuff that's a great character what's george hamilton's character i literally have no idea he has the character He's just a messenger guy. There's yeah. nothing. So, so even if George Hamilton was up to Robert Duvall's level as an actor, mm-hmm. he wasn't given anything to do. That's you a know? fantastic point. Yes, yeah, Steve. Agreed. Um, and, and and as far as Andy Garcia, I, you know, I took notes as I was watching it, and and I I think he's the probably the most dynamic thing in the film. Mm-hmm. Certainly. He's it, well. No, Pacino's Pacino's great. Mm-hmm. I think his performance is really really good. But it makes literally no fucking sense to me. There is no reason why Michael is bringing this guy along. Bites the ear off at the. He literally does everything Michael says not to do. Yeah, he is exactly opposed to what Michael's goals are, Mm -hmm. which is Michael's goals is to be accepted by the by the non gang world, by the normal world. Why would you have Vincent anywhere near you? It makes no sense. And then, like Vincent, you know, plans the attack on Joey Zaza, and Michael says it's not what I wanted, and it's like so it's not what I wanted. So you're going to be my second in command. Now you're going to take over. It makes literally no sense besides the fact that he's dating your young daughter yeah you know it 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 just it just and well this is the my big objection to the film is we left michael sitting in that chair in godfather 2 yes having just killed his brother completely alienated from any kinds of compassion he's he's locked out his his wife, he's totally ignoring his children. He's threatened Robert Duvall, which is maybe the closest person he might have to a friend. Yeah. He, the, one of the last things he says is, I don't need to kill everybody, just my enemies. He is an absolutely terrifying, unrepented, violent person. Yeah. And it's like the whole Godfather 2 didn't happen. Yeah, the relationship with Kay, the relationship with his children, like his children, like his daughter loves him. Why? Yeah, exactly. Why? Why? His his son seems to like him and plays this nice romantic song for him. Why? The last thing we heard was, "Look what it's doing to Anthony." 
Right. And the only personal connection we ever saw Anthony make was with Fredo, who he killed. Yeah. You know, and it's like the, if, if we had a moment, if we started this movie a year earlier mm -hmm. where we took Michael from where he was in Godfather 2 and put him through a thing mm -hmm. and watched why he made the decision to change and watched him try to heal relationships. Right. But it doesn't that doesn't happen. It's like it's like we took the guy that said, that's my family, Cade, that's not me. And just said, oh, everything that happened was because he had to or because he didn't have a choice. And and we skipped all the terrible stuff. And now yeah. that's who we meet in this movie. It makes no sense at all. You're absolutely right, Steve. You know, and I've made my certain exclamations during our uh, our uh, exploration of Godfathers 1 and 2. How I feel Godfather 3 absolutely cuts the legs out from Michael Corleone. And you're spot on. We don't see this change that Michael Corleone now is. We didn't see. So why rob us of that journey and then expect us to go along with this completely different version of Michael Corleone that is softened, that is playful, that is not mean to his family, that is, you know, just that is so uh, wanting to repair his relationship with Kay, of all people, uh, who aborted his child, by the way, uh, Anthony, who remembers and says that Michael killed Fredo in the movie early on, not later. All of a sudden, Anthony is like devastated that his father's in trouble. And he's like, he loves his dad coming to see him sing. Those things don't connect. And once again, we fall apart on the casting too. Look, I know there's been enough written about Sofia Coppola, but some stuff should be written about the son too. He is not that good of an actor either. He's kind of boring. He's a limp, uh, what do you call it? A wet noodle. He's a wet noodle and it's boring. So that's the frustrating part of this. Even if you were going to ignore the script, going to ignore the fact that we're jumping emotional beats that we never see and they're off screen, at least populate the movie with actors who can deliver levels to your dialogue that'll make us think about there was stuff in the past to connect to. There was interactions in the past and then make their emotional arcs uh, correct and believable and understand the fence posts or let us see the fence posts of them changing you know and i and i think that's the frustration that i feel throughout you're right there's no way mary uh is not knowledgeable of who her father is and you think Kay is gonna sit back and let michael stop vincent from dating his her daughter this is the same woman who killed one of his children because the sicilian thing must end so the movie not only undercuts Michael, it only it also undercuts Kay also by giving her a nondescript, standard, out of central casting, uh, white, older, rich husband. It just that does nothing in the movie. Nothing. And what husband wouldn't be like? Look, I'd like it if you didn't hang out with your mobster fucking boyfriend or former husband with with the kids that I have helped raise uh, for the last twenty years. You know, call me crazy, but I'd like it if you weren't uh, doing that. Uh, and he phantomly can't come on this trip to Italy. It's just all of it just is so convenient. And you're right, Steve. I think everything comes back to the script more than anything else. Well, it, it is. It's funny you say that because the thing I was going to say is it's interesting that I'm I, the writer, focus more on the script and you, the <laughs> actors, focuses more on the actors. You know, that it's makes true. a lot of sense. And, <laughs> and one of the points that you brought up that it didn't occur to me, but it should have, is that. It, it shouldn't just be Michael objecting to Vincent and Mary dating. Yeah. Why is Kay not objecting? This is like literally history repeating himself. Yep. And, and the, th the the whole Kay character is just totally the last two things we saw with her was Michael hitting her in the face, knocking yep. her down and 
probably threatening her life and probably, you know, basically saying, I am taking your children away. And then right. the next image is him slamming the door in her face. Right. And the line that the line that is excellent is her saying, I don't hate you. I dread you. Yeah. That's a fantastic line. Right. And then she goes on a little jaunt in Sicily with him. Yeah. Oh, it, I'm a, I'm your driver for the day. I'm Michael where Polo. the, yeah. Where the fuck did that come from? Well, we, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Steve, go ahead, sir. <laughs> no, I was just going to, and then that he's actually, he like threatens himself in this jokey way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he's saying, please don't dread me. And it's like, you threat there's th- this is not how you make up for this yeah. where there is nothing that could possibly bridge the gap with k that isn't huge yeah you yeah. know yeah and, and you see it over and over again that's the unfortunate thing well um, and maybe we'll circle back on some other things we don't like but is there anything you do like about the movie steve is there anything that stands out to you that like re-watching it now and the coda version or anything you like about the coda version itself but overall are there any positives that stand out for you uh, seeing Godfather three again after all this time, the bi- the biggest thing I think I actually think, despite the material, that there are moments in Pacino's performance that are astounding. Agreed. Uh, the 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 final silent scream is incredible. His his the way he does the diabetic stroke, mm. um, and his just his physical acting and all of that is great. I think that his his performance of the confession is great. Yeah. I totally don't fucking believe that confession. It doesn't make sense to me again, because they haven't earned it with the character. Right. You I mean, story structure wise, it doesn't story yeah, structure wise. Yep. Yeah, 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 I right. think he performed it great, but yes. I don't, I don't believe that Michael Corleone, who's making the most important deal of his life is going to tell a priest that is key to him making that deal that I killed my brother and I'm a horrible person. I mean, even though the priest is sworn in by the sanctity of the confession and all that stuff, it just makes no, you have to earn it. Michael is the most calculating, cold, unemotional person possibly in the history of film. And like for him to get to that. And I, and I think that's a great goal in your screenplay to go, I'm going to take Michael Corleone to a place where he is vulnerable. I'm going to take him to a place where he does confess. But it, all they do is say that's where he is. Right, right. We don't see that change in him. You know, one of the things we talked about, Steve, as we visited these Godfather films is what connection Coppola himself has with the protagonists of the movie, right? His desire to not make, uh, uh, to not have a hero in Michael Corleone, but it almost seems like at this point as a filmmaker, what is this, 1992, uh, when this film comes out, I believe... So he has done, is that right? Oh, sorry. Got 1990, sorry. 90. Yeah, 90. So at this point, he has done, since the Godfather uh, saga, he's done Apocalypse Now, which is great. Then One from the Heart, The Outsiders, Rumblefish, Cotton Club is a a disaster. Rumblefish, nobody goes to see. Um, Captain EO with Michael uh, Jackson, Peggy Sue Got Married, Gardens of Stone, another film nobody went to see. Tucker, the man in his dream, didn't make that much money. And then New York stories. So I wonder, as as he's, and from here he goes on to do Jack and Dracula, and yes, Rainmaker, but not much else. So I wonder, Steve, if this is also him now being Michael Corleone, if he himself is seeing himself as Michael Corleone, as like 
softening the edges, becoming an older man, being more sympathetic, uh, regretting the arguments of his youth with American Zoetrope and all the battles he had with people involved with that through the through the 70s, 80s, and into uh, 1990. Do you think that this is him in a way kind of playing this out? Is he the one that needs the uh, forgiveness from his family, forgiveness from his wife, uh, who of course uh, has been with him since the beginning? Like, is there something here that he's working out himself as the writer or as the director of this movie? I wonder. I think one hundred percent. So I, here's how I watched this: I watched Coda, and then I went back and watched the commentary track on the earlier mm. version. So I didn't mm. watch the earlier version, and you know. Commentary, commentary tracks are always a weird thing because it's someone presenting a certain vision of the truth. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, in this particular case, first of all, there is so much that he said that relates to his life. Mm-hmm. Like the scene in the hospital, he had he I don't know what he was in the hospital for, but he was he described I I was in the hospital where my family came to me and I was very vulnerable. He talked a lot about you know the fact that he cast his own daughter and that he was thinking about his relationship with his daughter. Mm-hmm. But this is where it gets weird. Is we know that the Godfather was not a film that Coppola wanted to make. He, he, that was not what he wanted to do. Part three or the first one, the first one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that he had to be kind of convinced and he yes. didn't want to do it, you know, cause he wanted to do artsy films. And then we know that Godfather two, he had a lot of control and had a really good experience. It doesn't sound like he wanted to make this movie at all. I mean, that's really reading between the lines, how it felt. Oh. And he, he continued like in the commentary track, whenever there was violence, he was going, uh, here we are doing violence again because that's what the studio needed me to do. And wow. it was just, you know, so reluctant sounding. And he even said, when it came to this line, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. It sounds like he was, he he is kind of woe is mean. The, yeah. the, 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 oh, I was, you know, yeah, I had to make this movie. And of course we did the best we could. And, right. you know, and it, it's just this, and it's, it's funny that the things him saying all the pressure and the battles he had to fight in Godfather, he kind of presents himself as the hero yeah. of this story and him with all the battles in apocalypse. Now he, some, he, 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 he presents himself as hero slash villain and listening to him complaining about things it just sounds whiny to me yeah. at this point for golf. I was like, look, if you didn't want to make the movie, don't make the movie. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. But like you said, maybe there was a lot of pressure on him. People wanted another one. You know, we're starting the nineties off. This is, I mean, it did end up getting nominated for best picture, which is really beyond me. Um, but, uh, so let, but so before we circle back to a couple other things that we've brought off, we've brought up off camera, Steve, let's hit some of these, uh, st- uh, super chats here. Uh, David Selleck, just sending in some money for support. Thank you, David. Very kind. That is D- David is my oldest friend. Our oh, parents, wow. Yeah. Our, our moms were hanging out together when they were pregnant. My, my, my ah. dad and his dad were good friends growing up and we're in boy Scouts together. So wow. thank you, David. Yeah. Thank you, David. Very kind of you. Absolutely. Threshold Picture says, what would quality, what would qualify as a true epic? For me, it is time passage, big themes, and high scale. How about you guys? Yeah, excellent question, Steve. What qualifies as an uh, epic in your mind? I like David Lean's definition, which is an epic is the combination of a wide shot and a close-up. That it is the big vista with the armies marching and the and intense personal drama. And of course, Lawrence of Arabia being, being it is an intensely personal movie on a yeah. huge scale. 
I think that to me, obviously length, size of of the scope of the story. Yes. You know, like if you have a four hour story about two people in their relationship who never leaves a house, it's a long movie, but I wouldn't call it an epic. Right. You know, right. That that's my feeling. I think you're what absolutely you? right. Yeah, scope, absolutely. Uh, story that goes into so many different directions that you didn't anticipate. Uh, and something about the power of the actors to uh, connect you to the material. Look, Ten Commandments, not the greatest film, but Charlton Heston's energy, his charisma as Moses is, and Cecil B. DeMille's scope and cinematography and the approaches he did to it is what makes it an epic 1917 is one of those deceptively great epics with people who are not necessarily that well known but it's the story and the scope of the story and the journey that you go on that turns it into an epic uh, for sure in my opinion um let's see matthew korea says i think the biggest issue with this movie other than mary and Vinny's relationship ew is that it just doesn't feel like the world of the first two movies so yeah let's yeah. circle back on that because that's the question i was going to ask you steve you spoke about off camera you and i were texting and you said this is shot in 1990 but it's or 89 probably but it's supposed to be the 1970s and it doesn't feel anything like no. the 1970s so talk about that a little bit uh, other than I, what's so funny i had i literally had forgotten it was 1979 when i started mm. watching it right. and i'm and i must have looked down and not seen the the thing on the screen and so then i'm going wait what the ages why are the ages different because it looks like the, other than the cars yeah the clothes look like the 90s the hairstyles look like the 90s i mean they're little elements of 70s but yeah. for the guy who did such an unbelievable job with the 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 world of the 1940s and the first godfather in the late 50s and the second godfather mm -hmm. man it just it, it, and what's so weird is that is cuz i forgot i hadn't watched it in a while so when it ends up that that guy is john paul the 1st Yes, it locks it in. I, and yes, I know that Hiram Roth is Meyer Lansky and there's these connections to the real world, but it isn't exactly the real world, right. you know, and that just kind of it shook me a bit, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it, the textures of 1979 d just weren't there. The, mm -hmm. the feeling all. And, and again, this is what we talked about throughout the Godfather films. All the little details, like in The Godfather, where on the car they have the letter A on the windshield because it's mm. the gas rationing sticker from World War II. That is a completely minute detail that locks it into a time period. Yeah. There is nothing like that in this film that I, I saw. You know, as I think about it, and as you just mentioned what Coppola said in the commentary, my mind starts to drift back to certain feelings I had as I was watching the code. I, I, to see him, and let me uh, take this out, to see him repeating the beats that we had seen in the second movie repeating the beats from the first movie. He's repeating all the beats. Joey Zaza's death is essentially the killing of, uh, of um, uh, the, Fanucci. The, Fanucci, right? Exactly. That's what you're seeing there. And it doesn't quite have that same magic. Um, then you've got this out of nowhere, 1990s action, true lies moment where a helicopter full of yeah. machine goading gun toting guys descends on a room full of godfathers you're like this is nowhere near the the what we had been presented in the first two movies in terms of the honor or the magic 
in uh, the killing of the five families or the killing of your enemies, um, which occurs at the end of, of, of both movies and, of course, occurs near the, uh, near the end of this one as well. But that moment is just so like, what, what is this? You know, and, and the, even the relationship of Bridget Fonda, how does this make any sense? She shows up. Vincent doesn't know her. They meet at that party. Um, and then, uh, you know, once the party's over, you imagine some time has passed, but we don't know how much time has passed. They're in bed together. And she says, do you love me? Like, what, what are we talking about? Then sends her out to be excessively subject to possibly being killed by Joey Zaza's guys. And we, and of course in 2021, we can look back and unnecessarily naked underneath her clothes, which we don't even need to see that. But of course, at the time, maybe that's what the studio wanted, the male gaze and all that. Uh, and then Vincent has a badass moment. And then that relationship is poof, gone uh, for no reason, never comes back. Uh, and we focus on the daughter of another famous person. Instead of Peter Fonda's daughter, we're focusing <laughs> now on so on, uh, on Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. So it, it just feels weird how some of the changes that they make. And it's all story convenient instead of organic and believable. And I think that's which you kind of fall back on. And you're right. The, the look of it doesn't feel like the seventies at all. Well, and I think, you, you know, you point out something that's really important is that they're like Godfather one to Godfather two. There are all these parallels where there yep. is the, we have the party that's, you know, intercut with meetings. We have yes. the big, the big uh, festival where someone's killed. We have, but the difference is, is that the thing that you and I talked about so much in Godfather two is that all of the parallels are transformative. Yeah. So where the the wedding in Godfather One is so uniquely and clearly Italian, mm -hmm. the the christening party in Lake Tahoe is so clearly trying to be white America, mm -hmm. and the discomfort in the contrast between the old school Italian people like Frank Pantangeli and Mom and is is contrasting with the senator and Kay and all that yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, the, the, the horse's head and the, the murder of the prostitute, that's a parallel, right. but it's also a parallel that shows how despicable Michael is because he murders this innocent person to blackmail this guy, you know, like, and yet here the parallels are like, Oh, here we are again. Right. You know, right. It's, 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 you know, like parallels like you see in, in die hard two or something, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And, and that's what it felt like. Right. And that's, what's so weird about the Michael Corleone situation too, is just like, well, like Steve pointed out earlier in the show, when we left him, he was he had lost he basically cut off or controlled every single relationship in his life. And Al Pacino has changed through the 80s uh, as well, through the late 70s into the 80s, you know, getting an becoming an older lead actor, stuff like Sea of Love, really straining the credibility of his ability to play those kinds of roles. And so he jumps into this. And so we've got to see him as a hero. And that is the less um, interesting choice to make, the more challenging choice. And of course, the studio probably was like, no way you're doing that. The more challenging choice is to make Michael Corleone as ruthless, as vicious as ever, so that when Mary is killed, he truly sees the uh, consequence of all his actions that a man this evil cannot have something this virginal, this pure, this good be the result of his actions. Um, and well, that's and, where the destruction could have been. And that well, scream seemed to mirror that. Sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Yeah. No, 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 no. That, that, that was all great. The, 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 if, if we saw the death of his daughter as a direct consequence of his actions, right. 
then that would have been more powerful. But it really isn't because it's a lot of Vincent's actions. Yes, it is. You right. know, at that time. Yes, yes. You know, and and like, and, and him saying him saying just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, which by the way is is you know the most famous line in the film. I don't think it particularly makes sense because. First of all, it's not they that pulled you back in. It's Vincent that pulled you back in. If Vincent doesn't bite Joey Saza's ears, ear, everything goes in a different directions. You know? Well, like, uh, okay. I well, don't know if I 100% agree with you, but but if you want to finish your point, I'll, I'll give, me well, my, give you my thoughts. Well, and, and maybe part of this is, is, is the case is, is that I think the plot is confusing. Mm, and, and you know, I, I'm not 100% sure what Michael has done or is doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that, I mean, if the guy has $500 million to write a check with, why does he have to do anything? Yeah. You know? Right, right. Like, it doesn't, it, and so it's like, well, what exactly did he do? Why did Joey Zaza get cut out? Why, you know, like, why are these things happening? I don't quite understand them. And so the idea of they pulled me back in, well, how what happened that now you are that led yeah. to that i guess that's my question yeah and it's it's a good question to have when you're looking at this whole thing is you're right it is a bit confusing at times yes it is vincent's but i also think it's michael's actions you know at the beginning of the movie when michael has that uh, uh a meeting with uh, don altabello eli wallet great who's fantastic in the movie by the way i, I was going to uh, ask you by the way yeah. you, you named him an honorary latino when we yeah. did magnificent seven do you think he will qualify i know you're you're not yes. italian no. but do you think he could qualify as an honorary italian as well i think both him and garcia qualify as honorary italians latinos crossing over into the italian side of things and why not pacino was a cuban so hey let it you know gotta balance out the scales a little bit but that meeting that uh, meeting in the car uh, you know michael is making this move to go to a higher level but he once again, Steve, what we've talked about in Godfather 1 and 2, his hatred of being Italian, his hatred of being connected to the mob, to the mafia, ha- comes back to bite him again because the reason he wants to move into this p- position with the immobiliari Om- is to become fully 1,000% legitimate uh, and ignore his upbringings. In essence, ignore his sex tape and focus on the fact that he's created this empire, even though it was built on a sex tape. This is a sen- in essence what he's trying to do here. <laughs> Metaphor, metaphors you only get on the cinephiles, my friends. That's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, this is what I think he's trying to do here, is this essentially being a mob guy, being in charge of this whole thing is his sex tape. Now he is, that's why he shows up at that meeting and he pays everybody off. Because he's trying to say, here's your money. You don't have to, there's no red tape. You don't have to finagle for it or ask for it or go see my accountant. Here is all your shares. I'm out. Much love to you. You're not getting a a, a slice of the immobiliary pie. And the and this is such a, what you said, Steve, earlier, right? He's such a calculating guy. This is such a horrible miscalculation on Michael's part to not understand who these random character actors, once again, choosing terrible people to play these mafia dons, like homie screaming for his favorite jacket, just stupid moments throughout. Oh, stupid. All, yeah. Right. They're not, they're not intimidating. They're not scary. They look like a bunch of old dudes uh, waiting to go into a spa. They do not look like really uh, scary, intimidating dons uh, like we had seen in the previous two Godfather movies. So to see this situation play itself out, it doesn't make any sense that, you know, Altobello tells him, 
you know, they're, they're upset that they're not getting even more money because you're moving up and you're not taking them with him with, you're not taking them with. And so that makes all the sense in the world, which is what ends up to Mar leading to Mary getting killed because Altabella goes to that Italian, the older Italian guy in Italy and says, right. you need to kill Michael Corleone, blah, blah, blah. So it is his actions in a way. Yes, it's Vincent's actions, but it's also his actions earlier in the movie where he's trying to cut out all the other Dons and pay them off like hookers instead of respecting the fact that these are the people that helped him elevate to this position where he can go and try to become fully legitimate as a, as a person in society. Well, by the going back, I, I, I'm really glad you said slight that he's giving everyone a slice because what I was going to say is that scene is the parallel to Hyman Roth cutting up the cake. You know, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's trying to do the same thing, but it, it, and again, this is maybe why I'm just a little confused. Mm. Is one of the things there are many things about Michael's character. One is is that he's a genius who always plans everything out in advance. Yeah, always thinks through all the possibilities. He's extremely cautious, mm -hmm. and so I don't understand his plan. It doesn't, yeah. you know, why? Why would he have a plan if he was really going to do this? He would have worked it out with everybody in advance. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? A thousand percent. So no one yeah. would get hurt. No one would be upset. No, uh, and he would. And the thing is, the other thing you mentioned, Joey Zaza, Steve, I think it's a great point, by the way, played by the great Joe Mantegna, who's been a guest of ours on the Cinephiles for the Adventures of Robin Hood episode. If you haven't listened to that episode or watched that episode, um, you should certainly do that. Um, but his character is like Michael tells Vinny the whole time, stop messing with small potatoes. If you want something bigger, don't give a shit about Joey Zaza. And then he absolutely insults Joey Zaza, which is something Michael would not do. Michael would not give Joey a cut or insult him in that way. He would absolutely keep him closer, like his father told him, keep your enemies closer. Uh, and so insulting him when he said not to worry about him is incongruent in my mind. It, it, it seems to me that uh, jo Joey Zaza is right to be pissed off, from what I can tell. yeah. yeah. It's not, you know, even they're playing him like he's the bad guy, but it kind of seems like he's doing exactly what he took over the Corleone's business. Yeah. He he's trying to have a good relationship with Michael and he gets nothing but insults and cut out. So right. he should who, be pissed. Right. And who would you trust? Would you trust the guy who's been running your business? Or we trust the, the guy who's been shooting his mouth off and, you know, g getting into violent encounters and biting people's uh, biting people's ears off. Like, why? Whose word would you trust just because he's blood by half blood? It doesn't. I don't understand the the connection there. And he says, I've always watched over you. It's like there, there's no relation. Mean, he says he can't even introduce Bridget Fonda to Michael. So and his name isn't even on the list. So how is Michael taking care of Vincent? Make, if Vincent's no name's not even on the list. Right. Well, and I don't understand why is Connie such a supporter of Vincent? Like, first mm. of all, what happened to her son? She has kids that she was never seen in Godfather Two. Right. She they've apparently entirely disappeared, and she's just if if this had been her son, this would have made perfect sense. That's a great point. But but it's not. It's Sonny's uh, illegitimate kid. And there's this other moment. I'm pretty sure where Connie says after. Uh, one of the murders she says to michael now they will fear you which of course is a, you know a reference yeah. to something that's said uh by brando but yeah. who didn't fear michael corleone right, like right. the people not fearing him is not his problem you know yeah, yeah steve and then they give him 
in essence, a Luke Skywalker throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder moment by saying, maybe they should feel you. Maybe they should feel you. And you're like, oh, so you're just playing it for jokes now. This is a this was a really powerful line in both movies. And then they would feel you. Yeah. That's a great, powerful line. And then you're just playing it for jokes here in 1990. It just doesn't make sense. And I think as I think about it, as we talk about it, Steve, what you just revealed about Coppola, what he felt like or what he was saying, if you read between the lines of the commentary, it felt like he was trying to maybe subconsciously or you know, knowing his impish nature, purposefully subvert uh, how good this movie could be and essentially drown his characters so he never has to revisit them again. I, and I, I wouldn't put past, I wouldn't put past that happening uh, with someone like Coppola. What do you think? Uh, uh, I no, absolutely. Well, Coppola, things have always mirrored his life. You know, right? Like, I mean, that's what makes Godfather so good mm-hmm. is how much of his life is in it. And by the way, you know, uh, he, he, I think his grandparents were cousins who got married. Right. So. There's a lot of things. Um, I was looking. There's looks like there's tons of yeah. uh, Streamlabs. Oh, let's get into it. Let me drop one more of these uh, here. Justin Toner, who mentions uh, what we were talking about here. Where is it? Yeah, Justin said, one aspect of the th- of three that I do love is the evolution of Talia Shire's Connie from being the abused wife in one to being as ruthless and cold-blooded as Michael in three, including Keila- killing Eli Wallach herself via poison. Uh well, yep. here's my so was that was the the cannoli murder Vincent's plan? No, that was their plan. All three of them. Like this was Michael once again wiping out all the enemies, and so Vincent was supposed to kill uh, the people uh, who were trying to kill or protect Michael uh, at the opera, and uh, and Connie was supposed to kill Don Altabello because Michael figured out that Don Altabello is essentially Don Barzini, behind the guy behind right. all this stuff. Uh, instead of because he's constantly playing the doddering old man, but in fact he's actually the one pulling the strings the whole time. So no one else, Donald Tavella wouldn't trust anybody else but Connie. So they. Used but Connie. I wasn't sure, and maybe maybe this is just because I didn't watch it as carefully. But hmm. I wasn't sure that this was all Michael's plan, or if some of this was Vincent's plan. Hmm. Do you know well, what I mean? That's a great point because he hands over the reins to Vincent. Yeah. So maybe it is Vincent's plan. Uh, Steve, I stand corrected. Maybe it is Vincent's plan to kill Don Altabello. Uh, and because Michael says, like, suddenly out of nowhere, Michael says, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, and there's this weird moment too where he goes, okay, Vincent, go be a spy for me. I think that's cool. I like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and the moment where he says, he's going to ask you to betray me and that's the trap. Yeah, yeah, and that was very much like the person that comes to you is the person who's going to betray you. Um, I think that's great. But like, so Vincent's meeting with Don Antebello, and it's their first meeting. Yeah, and he lays the trap, and then that guy says, introduces the big bad guy. Yeah, right in that scene to the person who's clearly your enemy. Well, you had already planned on bringing over the big bad guy. To this, to meet this person on the first meeting, that makes no sense whatsoever. You're absolutely right, unless it's story convenient, which is what it was. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Gen Model real quick says, "Was there ever a mention about Michael having diabetes previously? I would have liked a connection." I, I don't, I don't think so. I also think that people who have diabetes and it's severe diabetes usually carry insulin and candy with them. I mean, yeah. that's just you know, that's and cool. Michael, a person that always. Uh, by, by the way, as soon as. Uh, Connie yells, it's his diabetes, which is a weird line. Um, I immediately went into a very old Jewish joke, which is, which is a 
a Frenchman, a German, and a Jew walk into a bar. The Frenchman says, I can't do the accents, but says, I'm, I'm tired and thirsty. I must have wine. The German says, I'm tired and thirsty. I must have beer. The Jew says, I'm tired and thirsty. I must have diabetes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, and, and I agree with you, Jen. There is no connection, and Steve's right. Having Connie uh, spit out the exposition of the moment, which is not unheard of. But my father developed diabetes later in life. Oh, sure, it does happen. But Steve's absolutely right. Unless you're dirt poor, you're care, and even even then, you're making sure you have chocolate or something sweet in case you have an attack. Uh, and I've ne- my father never had an attack where he was screaming about thunder or swinging arms or anything like that. So I, I don't know how accurate that attack, that uh, yeah, moment is, but uh, you know, it's played well by, by Pacino for sure, but I don't know how accurate it is. Uh, I like this, Steve, Don Roca and Stevie five angels. I like it. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> uh, all right. You want to read some of the Streamlabs, brother, as we, as we go on here? Sure. Uh, this is from, uh, let me go back to the older ones. Cause there's sure. a bunch that came in a while ago. Here. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, Justin Toner said, hi, John and Steve. I always felt Godfather three was a fine movie, but not as great as the first two classics. Haven't watched the new Coda cut of three yet. So look forward to hearing what you guys think. Uh, if this version is better or worse than the original. Mm. Well, Justin, <laughs> I think you've heard our opinions. I think you probably should have watched Coda before this, but I'm very glad to have your donation, your, your stream lab. And I'm very glad you're, you're listening to the show. Yes. Yes. And, and look, we're, we're never going to tell you not to watch a movie for the most part. So if you want to watch it, just to compare it for yourself as a film fan or a cinephile, knock yourself out. The ending and the beginning are different chronologically. Uh, and they made or added some stuff in the middle there with uh, a couple of uh, scenes. But yeah, that's pretty much the changes. Um, should we go to Brennan's? Yeah, Brennan Marr says, do you agree with Duvall's decision not to return for part three or not? Mm. Um, I am really sad he's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. I know uh, my understanding, what my understanding is, and but this might come from Coppola, who is not the most reliable person, is that he asked for the same amount of money as Pacino. Well, at this point, Duvall is in essence as well known as Pacino. But he's a but it is a much smaller part, you know. True, but I also think Duvall looked at the script was like, yeah, I'm not playing, that. I'm not doing this because I can't imagine if he had been the George Hamilton character, then he's yeah. just going to walk around holding Michael's money in his. Yeah. Briefcase? Nah, that ain't that ain't uh, for Duval at this point anymore. Yeah. Um uh Matthew Correa says, I think the biggest issue with this movie, other than oh. Mary and Vinny's relationship, ew, is that it just doesn't feel like the world of the first two movies. Yeah, we read that one again already. Oh. That's a super chat. So let's go to the John Getz one. That's a stream lab. Oh, oh, I see the difference. Mm-hmm. I'm just learning how all this works. <laughs> both show up here. No worries. Um man. Uh, John Getz is if the story stayed mostly the same, which characters would you recast if you were in charge in 1990 of casting? With whom would you recast them? I don't know, John. Who are you recasting? Well, I certainly would recast Mary. Listen, I, you know, I can't, I'm not gonna, I don't want to add to what we all know and accept is that Sophia Coppola is pretty terrible in the movie. It's even worse to see it now. Um, there's no nuance. There's no real depth to what she's doing. And that's not what she's built to do. She's built to be an incredible director. And she's certainly that. So no, she ended up just fine. And you could argue if she stays on this path, 
Although she may not be like Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola level classics director, she may be a more consistent, excellent director than her father if she continues on this path, uh, Sofia Coppola. So shout out to her. But absolutely, I mean, they had Ad- Annabella Sciorra was the original choice. I would have loved to have seen Annabella. I think Annabella mm-hmm. would have killed that. Winona Ryder was the other one. She pulled yeah. out to do Mermaids. Uh, so, it, or she had just finished Mermaids and was too exhausted to, as she said, to jump into Godfather Part Three. So, those two choices would have absolutely been uh, fantastic choices, in my opinion, uh, to be in that situation. Um, I don't know. I'd have to let me think on it, John. Let me do as we're doing the show. Uh, but what do you think, Steve? Well, I mean, our main. I, I think that both Anthony and Mary are weak. I Sophia Coppola doesn't bother me nearly as much as she bothers a lot of other people. Yeah. You know, it's it, it partially it's because the relationship is so weird and yucky that and it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Again, it's always to me it's like, well, what are you asking the actor to do? And um and that but other than that, like I we, we already said we wouldn't have uh Don Novella. We wouldn't have mm-hmm. uh George Hamilton. Um I I like the guy who plays the Pope, you know, the future Pope. I, you know, mm-hmm. I love Eli Wallach. I don't have a lot of problems with the other casting and our main characters are our main characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she says in an interview recently, she said, it seemed like he was under a lot of pressure, her father, and I was helping out. There was this panic. And before I knew it, I was in a makeup chair in Cineseta Studios in Rome, having my hair dyed. I wasn't taking things super seriously. I was at the age of trying anything. I just jumped into it without thinking much about it. Yeah, and that certainly, sadly, shows. And I think that's a disservice to the film as well. Nothing against her. Certainly, she's a young woman, an opportunity yeah, to be 18. in this sport. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, I don't really blame her for that. It was more Coppola. He should have known this was the right, wrong decision. And once again, is this subconscious desire to sabotage the film in a way? I don't know. I don't know. So, um, all right. What's our next one, bud? Uh, Justin Toner, one of the biggest issues I have with Godfather 3 is no Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. He is a glaring omission, especially in Michael's final days. Agreed. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. Philippe Hunt says, hello again, guys. I just wanted to say the entire film is about redemption and atoning for your sins. The entire film, Michael seeks redemption for everything and wants to not end up in damnation. That's why he tries to rid the church of evil. Hmm. Is he trying to rid the church of evil? Uh, I don't... He's he's bailing him out. Right, he's bailing him out in exchange for more power for his family. He's not bailing them out to necessarily cleanse the church. Um, And uh, he does install... Oh, that Pope... He doesn't rig the election for that Pope to be installed. It just happened to be the same cardinal that he... Uh, asked for forgiveness from and even his reaction the cardinal's reaction he doesn't want to be pope like he's like oh no i don't want this pressure i don't want to do this but he cannot resist the call and he must do his service so i don't think that michael wants to cleanse the church but all these people fucked michael over which is why he's killing them at the near the end of the movie not because he wants to cleanse the church i disagree with that but you're welcome to your opinion, obviously, Philip. But he does I, seek redemption. It's just there's no built up for that. So, uh, you know, if if he seeks redemption, it's so shallow to me mm. because he's still doing. He's still trying to aggrandize his family. Yeah, you know what I mean. He still has these. I have to be in charge 
things. He does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't seem like I'm trying to think of a movie where a person has a true compassionate transformation towards redemption. You know, oh, certainly uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, yeah, every movie the, about yeah. the Christmas Carol. Yeah. Well, that, it's a perfect example because we see what makes right. him make the change, right. and then we see the change in behavior. Like we see him overwhelmed by his guilt mm-hmm. with the stroke and with the confession, but I don't see him. I don't. He, like, does he apologize to Kay? Uh, he does uh, in a number of spots. Not how can I say this? I don't know if I remember he, that he says that I'm sorry, but he says you're still, you're, you know, you're still, you hate me or, you know, I know the things that I did, blah, blah, blah. But the opening voiceover, he says, you know, I've handed the kids over to you because uh, you wanted their rearing. So in essence, against again, we don't see anything on screen where Michael is understanding that he made a mistake slapping his wife, by the way, made a mistake threatening her life, made a mistake closing the door on her. We've we're, we're handed with a Michael Corleone that's already feeling bad about the stuff he's done rather than candid the michael corleone uh that we had in godfather 2 as steve said and then seeing the decisions of his life come back to haunt him they play the pedro the the, sorry the fredo stuff as a subplot throughout this but they don't play it up as strongly as other subplots that could have been operating at the same time if the loss of k the alienation of his kids and the killing of his brother fredo uh, was working in conjunction as subplots throughout, I think that would have added so much more to the film. And then his redemption or his attempted redemption is all the more tragic because it's just a little bit too late. And you still could have ended it with him falling over in a chair. Fr- fr- frankly, I think it's like classic um, uh, abuser um, tactics, mm. which is to say, please don't dread me mm-hmm. and to do nice things for a person. But not, he doesn't say, he confesses to the priest, but he doesn't say, Kay, I treated you terribly. Right. I, I was angry. I was vicious. I kept you from your children. I re- deeply regret my action. That's an apology. Right. You know what I mean? He right. says, don't dread me. And, and yeah, instead he takes her on a tour of Italy in a way to try to like make it up to her. By the way, while her husband is conveniently not there, kind yeah, of fina- finagling a little moment there too. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, Wayne, okay. Wayne Edwards writes, hello, gents. I'm listening while I work. Thank you so much for your exploration of the Godfather saga. You added so much to my thoughts about these films that I have seen one time a piece. They are wow. all paramount. Plus I will revisit again. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne. Absolutely. Uh, should I do the next one? Yeah. Yeah. Just keep going. Okay. Uh, Ed Buskirk. Thank you for being my film school professors. <laughs> I learned so much each week. Is Tom Hagen missing the true crime of Godfather three? I think Michael needed his other brother to keep him centered or bring him back and redeem him. Really missed of all. That's an interesting point. He brings up uh, Steve. What if Duvall had been in the first hour of the movie? Yeah. And Michael is doing all these things over and over again. And then Duvall has this heart attack or has a moment where he's dying himself, ends up in a hospital, and he has this sure powerful exchange with Michael where he says to him, please stop. Look at what you've done to Kay. Look at what you've done to Mary and Tony, uh, and Tony, whatever his name is. Look at what you've done to your family, all in pursuit to try to make yourself legitimate. What's the point of being legitimate if you can't, if you don't even have your family? A man who doesn't take care of his family can never be a real man. 
that would be so powerful to see Michael brought, in essence, down and have Hagen have one last, uh, 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 I don't know, moment to become the older brother of Michael and give him that advice before he passes. And maybe that's the beginning of the change for Michael. That's possible. I, I think you make a. I think both you and Ed make a really yeah. good point yeah, because one of the interesting things is that Michael has gotten rid of everybody who could stand up to him. Yes, and even uh, Tom in the scene where he threatens him in Godfather Two, he sort of knocked down that person. You know, whereas, and, and so in this film, there is nobody to mm -hmm. stand up to him. There is nobody that can kind of, you know, take a little bit of the the wind out of his sails, you know? Right. Right. Um, yeah. It's yeah. It's it, it, to me, it's the, everything about this movie, despite Al Pacino's great performance is about Michael. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Um, all right. Uh, John Getz has another one as well, right? Uh, yeah. He says, think Hyman Roth would have died of natural causes by this <laughs> film or would that heart attack have still been killing him? Well, Meyer Lansky lived into the eighties. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's possible that he could still could be around. Well, 1979, he, I think he's absolutely would have still been around if Michael hadn't killed him in the airport. That's a thousand percent true. <laughs> uh, do you uh, want to read this? Uh, yeah, super yeah. Let me see if I can find it. Hill. Dylan uh, McElroy, let me pull it up here on the screen. Uh, sorry, guys, I've got like four windows open trying to manage everything. Let me uh, pull it up here. There it is. Dylan McElroy says, Coppola planned to do a fourth film that he states in the commentary for part three. Steve, is this true? Do you think this would help? have helped? salvage the saga or make it worse is this true yes he does mention in the commentary and wow. what he what he said he would do is do a, a back and forth like godfather 2 for the time pre-world war ii with young Sonny and the modern time with vincent so another father and son oh, parallel story interesting um i it's so funny my feelings about young Coppola making Godfather one and my feelings about old Coppola talking about Godfather four. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just kind of call bullshit. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think he, I don't think he ever really wanted to do it. And I, and I, I, I think two things. One is I don't think he ever really wanted to do it or cared about the project. And two is I think if someone had paid him to do it, he might've done it. Well, fair, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm going to bring up two things here in the chat, Steve. Uh, Phil P says love that the Cardinal was played by Ralph Alone, who played a mafia boss in the original The Italian Job. Oh, That's awesome. Nice. I love that. Um, and then thank you to Hinnock uh, Geberbrigerges. I hope I'm saying that right. Sorry, Hinnock. He says, I just subbed to you your words. channel. You did. You I, I, I guarantee you couldn't have said that right. That's a tough <laughs> name. Geberbrigerges. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm trying, and I'm trying out of respect for sure. But thank you for subbing to a channel. Yeah, if anybody, if you haven't subbed to the Cinephiles channel, this is, this is the time now. Hit that sub, uh, subscribe button down below because we are going to be doing one live episode a month where we do these kinds of discussions so we can have more connection with you all, more interactivity with you all and show you how much we appreciate your uh, support of the show and uh, enjoying you uh, and, and hearing your points of views uh, on all this. Um, uh, all right, we've got some more Streamlabs there, Steve. Uh, yeah, Eric Grebner says, thank you for this live discussion. And all you do, is it me or does the coda include a different take of Sophia Coppola's infamous last line reading? For some reason, watching this version, it didn't seem as bad as I remember. I have no idea. I think it does. And I felt the same way that I was like, oh, 
I used to make fun of this. This is believable the way she delivers it. Maybe the only believable moment she has in the movie. And it, I think maybe Coppola went back and found take. Because in the original, she goes, Dad, and then falls off. This one is more a, a shock of like, Dad? And then boom, she's done. So I think there is absolutely a better take that they've used um and but maybe somebody can maybe there's someone who's done a youtube video where they put both of them on the screen and you see the difference or non-difference uh but it does i felt the same way that you did that it was a better uh version this time around so maybe we're both crazy uh i don't know we shall see um, um right. doug doug developer were the conflicts with the studio and salary disputes already known before the film came out would those have clouded your judgment going into the film had you known rather than going in not knowing? Mm. Uh, I have no idea. I mean, you read much more of those yeah. you know, entertainment magazines than I did. Do you remember any of that coming out beforehand? I remember that was an issue with Duvall, uh, and I remember being bummed out that that was an issue. So, yes. I, so I was, I was sad that he wasn't going to be a part of it, but it didn't affect whether I was going to enjoy it or not because – you know, people uh, franchises lose characters all the time, lose actors all the time because of whatever reason they achieve. Like Anthony Edwards didn't come back uh, to do Revenge of the Nerds except for one scene because he had done Top Gun, and so he was moving on with his life. He wasn't going to be part of the Revenge of the Nerds. Meanwhile, is it Keith Carradine? He played that character yeah. for four movies. So there's a difference there. Sometimes your actors move past. Uh, what they originally started out doing, and that's to be expected. And Duvall was a lead, and Pacino was a lead all through the 80s and into the 90s as well. So it would surprise me if, if uh, it didn't surprise me that Duvall didn't want to come back. I was bummed, but but it didn't affect it. Coppola was still directing it, Pacino was still coming back. So to me, I thought they were going to have a great film. I, I, I certainly miss Duvall, but I don't think knowing about salary disputes would have had a huge effect. Mm -hmm. Certainly expectations do have a huge effect when you have really, really high expectations. It is sometimes hard for movies to live up to it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that much about, you know, salary disputes and stuff like that. That doesn't, I don't think generally affect how I see a film. Yeah. Um, John Getz says, for the first time, I'm realizing this came out the same year as Goodfellas. <laughs> Do you think, despite this being nominated for Best Pictures, picture it was judged worse due to a masterpiece mob film being uh, the same year? Uh, um, so I, here's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. Maybe that happened. I I don't know if it was judged differently. Frankly, the fact that it got nominated for Best Picture means to me that it was judged as better than I actually think it is. And what I'll say is that's not affecting my judgment of that of that movie today. You know, yeah, that's yeah. how I feel. Uh, I've you know I think I've always been able to take a movie on its own merits. Uh, so I would hesitate to ever believe that I would compare one to the other because also I have issues with Goodfellas. The last twenty minutes of Goodfellas, I just don't like. Everything up to those last 20 minutes, which I know are the lessons of the film, I just don't like them. Uh, and so uh, so I would judge both those films uh, in, in the correct manner that I received them and didn't compare them because they're two completely yeah. different films. Yeah, they're mob movies, but they're two complete and both set in the 70s uh, eventually, but they're two completely different films uh, overall, so I don't think it affected people's because it was still nominated for Best Picture, so it couldn't have affected people's interpretation of the film that much at the time. Uh, 
Um, I'm kind of curious yeah. for about for you, but also for all the people that are watching along. Mm-hmm. We've reached the end. What's your feeling yeah. about the Godfather saga? Oh, like, well, I mean, like it's like um, Indiana Jones. It's like Rocky. You know, you've got that one installment that you're just not a fan of, but it doesn't take away from the love you have for um, the first two movies. And for me, this was such a um, intellectual joy walking back into these movies, approaching them from an analytical point of view, and then falling back in love with them. Because, you know, you live long enough, especially all the stuff I'm doing, all the things I'm trying to create. I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago, where I could casually just put on The Godfather and enjoy it. Now I have to be like, well, if I put on The Godfather, that's almost three hours, and I've got all these other stuff I need to do. Doing it for the show was an excuse to revisit these films again and fall back in love with them. So for me, um, I had the greatest time talking about all these things with you and discovering more facts or rediscovering more facts. And um, I'm ready to I'm ready to feel like we've put this thing uh, to bed and we've presented the best we can with it. Now, let's move on to some other stuff, because we've lived in this gangster world for quite some time. What about you, Steve? Well, I, I. First of all, I, I I just feel like we found so much more. I already love the movies, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. There, there was just so much discovery and so much speculation and so much thought about. It, it's just such incredibly rich material, and and yeah. I feel the same way. By the way, about Godfather Three is for me. It's 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 like that fourth Indiana Jones movie that I sort of believe exists. Mm-hmm. Is that it's just like no, there are two movies. You know, and you could watch this third one if you really want to. Right. But to me, they're two movies. And what's funny that I think I feel like I feel like we went to a different place in the way that we explored this film hmm. is that you know how with certain works of great literature or and certainly with religious texts that people will pour over it and take the tiniest thing and make yeah. huge, you know, write dissertations on it. I feel like that's kind of what we did was that we went so deeply that we went. I am sure we said dozens of things that Coppola, if he heard them said, would go, what? I never thought of that, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> we He's just two went, idiots. <laughs> yeah. Well, or just, or just like that's maybe even that's really interesting, but that was never yeah. anything I intended. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and, and I still, you know, it, it's so funny because I go back to where I was at the beginning, which is I would rather watch the first Godfather and the emotional wallop of the second is way bigger. Yeah. You know, Eric Redmer says, what? We're not getting uh, we're not getting a comprehensive breakdown of the Godfather video game over the next two weeks. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much you put in. How much money are you pledging in Patreon? I mean, nope, that's really nope. the- I, I don't care how much you pledge. I'm not gonna do. That's a lot to jump into. Uh, yeah, I- and I think Pacino did come back to voice the Godfather for that video game. If I'm not incorrect, uh, I think he did. And I think James Conn came back to voice Sonny as wow. well so yeah i think so uh but ed buskirk probably summarizing for both of us i think my beautiful loving bride is tired of hearing me talk about the godfather <laughs> and she would be so glad we were moving on i really enjoyed it thanks guys yeah um steve do we want to put the link out for people to come in live or do you do we do, do we have to get going here at this point uh, I, I i got a i got a few more minutes if people okay. want to come in live if you guys want to come in live i'm going to put the link in the chat if you want to come in live and 
ask us uh, any questions. We've got a few minutes here if you want, because we've reached the end of the Streamlabs or Super Chats that you all have sent. And thank you so much. You guys have been incredibly generous for our first show. Thank you very, very much. If you want to keep sending them in, we will read them over the next few minutes. But I'm going to put the link in the chat uh, for anybody who wants to come in live to ask a question or uh, or uh, uh, relay a comment to us. Uh, um, and I got Todd Lewis in the Streamlabs. He oh, cool. says, uh, you guys are the best. Thank you for all your hard work these last several weeks. You deserve to go do a 90-minute comedy next week. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Well, we're not doing a comedy, but we certainly are going to have fun doing our next one. Yeah. That's for damn sure. Um, and what's so funny is like our schedule is so up in the air at the moment that I don't I know what next week is. I don't know what's happening after that. We we John right. and I have to have a meeting and we have lots of stuff to discuss, but I like 90 a 90 minute comedy. That sounds great. Absolutely. Uh, and John John Getz says, just to be clear, I was not accusing you guys specifically of that bias. The release dates just caught my eye. Final oh. question. I I didn't think you were accusing us yeah. of bias. Not at but all. I appreciate John. I appreciate the uh the correction. Final question, though, is when are you doing your four parts for each movie, Lord of the Rings, extended edition episodes? John, when are we doing that? I I feel like we do need to tackle them, and, I sh and I'm ready to tackle them. I feel like after having this experience, I'm ready to tackle the Lord of the Rings movies. I wonder if you all are ready for me to tackle the Lord of the Rings movies. That's what I wonder about. I got no problem putting myself through them, but just know I'm going to be, if I feel I need to be critical about certain yeah. things, I'm going to be critical about certain things. So if the question's back to you, John, are you ready for me to get into this with Steve and break down these movies? I am. Are you? You know, I, I, I I have been, you know, it's so, it's funny. You know, we talked about how long we talked about The Godfather. Yeah. I've been thinking about doing these movies for a long time. I don't know how I want to approach them, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I prefer the extended editions. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also tons of fat in the extended editions. Yeah. They are really long. And, and so it's like if we did Lord of the Rings, like we just, like we just did Godfather, it'd be mm -hmm. like three months of Lord of the Rings. And I don't know that I, that's what I want to do. You know, it's like, well, we, you know, we have our, the beginning of every year, we focus on a director. Mm -hmm. We have not talked about who next year is. That's one way we could do this. We could um, do it. Well, or cool. we could do like one and then take a break from the Lord of the Rings <laughs> and then come back and do the next one. I don't know. I, I, but I, I think it's definitely something. But the, the other weird thing is that yeah. as the show has gotten longer and as mm -hmm. we do more of these multi parts, the sad side of that is we do fewer films, you know? And mm -hmm. so do we want to devote three months or something to the Lord of the Rings? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Do we want to do that? I mean, I, uh, yeah. I mean, because uh, maybe this is our new tradition. We had been doing, you know, the month of blah, blah, blah. And right. now uh, we seem doing the months of. So maybe this is a, a change we make uh, where we spend the months of doing Lord of the Rings. And I don't think we do the extended editions. I think that's asking a lot. But we could do Lord of the Rings, the first three movies. Um, yeah, as the first thing we do in 2022. So I, I don't think I'd have an issue with that. I, I, so uh, Doug Developer just put up another comment, and I oh. just have to tell you what my 
how my dyslexic brain read it at first. Because sometimes I do weird things with letters when I'm reading. And because yeah. we were just talking about Lord of the Rings, what <laughs> I read was one of the trilogy's most underrated scenes to me is Frodo telling Anthony he caught more fish than his brothers. And I'm like, when was Frodo talking about catching? And then, then, then the word snapped in and I saw, of course, it's Fredo. Yes. Uh, he says, because played that scene so beautifully, so well as a man who just wants to be better at something and... Oh, please consider Dog Day Afternoon in the future. Dog Day Afternoon is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, and Steve and I have also spoken about Deer Hunter, uh, which I texted about the other day because uh, the top 10 just did the top 10 uh, best films of the 1970s. So that's going to be our episode that we're dropping on Tuesday. Uh, and one of the films oh, cool. that I brought up was the uh, Russian roulette scene in the Deer Hunter. And I, I just made me think that we haven't even touched that film and I own that film. And would love to revisit it with Steve. So hopefully in the future, we will do that sometime this year. Um, all right, let's bring in. We've got two people waiting to come in live. Brennan. What's up, Brennan? Let me Welcome. pull down. What's Welcome. up, brother? What have I done to make you treat me so disrespectfully? Why <laughs> <laughs> don't have to come in and disagree? Yes, sir. Luke throwing the lightsaber was not a joke. Okay. No, okay. <laughs> now, and if you do Lord of the Rings, there is not a lot of fat. Thank you very much, Steve. Uh, All right. <laughs> what's your what's your comment? You mixed up with the Hobbit movies. Well, um, that's a lot of fat. But I, John, you like those more, I think. I do like those. Yes, yes. So we'll we'll agree to disagree for sure. Um, well, what's your comment, brother? What do you got? What do you got to tell us? Do you suppose if there had been a film in between Godfather two and three, that that might have worked better? Ooh. to set up what occurred in three uh yeah i mean with something to set it up whether it's the beginning of three or doing a whole other i mean the whole a whole film where michael makes the turn i can totally see that being the movie right yeah yeah well we get a little more behind the scenes of what connects these movies a little bit better uh than what we got you know what i'm saying and and that would have been so much more interesting to explore and if we had had that de-aging technology i wonder if that's something they could have put in motion to make that happen uh at the top you know so who knows who knows uh, i think a 1980s godfather would have been interesting amidst all the other stuff that was happening in the kind of entertainment we were dealing with. but i think coppola wanted to walk away from it that's what it was coppola didn't want to come back to it for a very long time he right he didn't want to be seen as just that director you know but, you know, other than Apocalypse, he really didn't come close to it ever again. Um, all right, mm. cool. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Love you, Brennan. Thanks for coming in, brother. Thanks. Good no seeing you again, Brennan. Good to see you guys. All right. We have Jamie here, but his device is not connected, so I can't bring Jamie in. So, Jamie, if you want to come in, you got to connect your microphone and your camera. Um, Dylan is waiting to come in. Dylan, are you ready? Give me a thumbs up. Are you ready? Yep, there we go. All right, Dylan, what's up, man? How are you doing? Good. I just wanted to say, like these past this past month, if you guys talking about this, has made this back half of the pandemic, hopefully back half, so much in, enjoyable. Not the right word, but better to be in. And it's sad that now every Friday, because The Godfather is my favorite movie of all time, I won't have this anymore. <laughs> but there's one movie I've always wanted you guys to touch on, which is Seven, because I remember uh, John mm. um, Steve once saying he saw it once and it kind of messed him up, and he never saw it again. That's mm. right. I've only seen it once. So that wow. makes me really want you to go back and rewatch it. And I just want to say, I love both of you guys. You guys have been like a godsend during this pandemic and the podcast means a lot every Friday. So 
Oh, well, thanks. Thank thanks so much, Dylan. Seven has been discussed. It's on all sorts of lists of us doing. Mm. Uh, it's amazing the number of movies that we keep not doing that keep coming up and for some one reason or another. We don't get to them, but seven, I would absolutely love to do. Yeah. Um, there's another there's another Fincher movie that we've been talking about doing very soon, too. So, yeah. May yeah, I take a guess on which one that might be? Sure, you can take a guess. There's two. There's it's either Zodiac or Social Network. Actually, we've talked about both of those. <laughs> yeah, both of those. Now <laughs> that I think about it, we have talked because because I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you watched the 200th episode documentary, but that's the movie that Scott Mance wants to do next. Yeah, is Social Network. Okay, Social Network. Social <laughs> Network. And if, if there's nothing, if anyone knows anything about any movie, it's going to be him. So I'll yes. be very happy if he comes on for it. Absolutely. Well, um, you, he may be coming very soon to you. We yeah. shall see, Dylan. We shall right. see. Well, thank very you guys possible. So much for me, and it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, very, Dylan. Thanks for all your support. Very kind of you, man. All right, that was Dylan. Uh, let's bring in a gentleman who's been very kind to us today on the Streamlabs, John Getz. John, what's up, dude? How are you? Hello, hey, John. I guess my first time talking to either of you guys actually on camera. I know it is for Steve, but it's it's awesome to see you guys. It, it's been an amazing show for years. Thank you. Um, and as far as The Godfather 3 goes, you already got my request for Lord of the Rings. But right. uh, <laughs> as far as that goes, just kind of what's your ideal Godfather 3 that you would have made? Like what uh, year would it have been made? Would it have been made in the 80s or late 70s? And what? era and story would you have wanted to tackle with the film oh yeah that's a great uh comment here's i i've never thought about it but this is what's coming up in my mind is that first of all uh, let's say let's say it's in the 70s and let's say that we find michael basically exactly where we left him Hmm. as the terrifying extremely powerful very cold head of this organization and the young, a, a new veto comes along to treat him as Fenucci, to destroy him. Mm. That is the story that I would tell. Is, and, and possibly, like, it would be more interesting to me if that is Vincent, Sonny's yeah. original kid. Yeah. That, that's the story that occurs to me in this moment. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, he would have been the guy coming in to try to take the power from Michael Michael would struggle with the fact that he's going against his blood in, in Sonny's son uh, and would bring up all kinds of stuff for Michael. I could see that. And I think it'd be even better for me if we said it a little bit later where both Mary and Tony are teenagers. So there's even more pressure on Michael about navigating the, you know, the teenagers in his life, the threats that might happen to their lives. Kay, all of that, I think, is you know, raising kids is difficult, Steve. Certainly, uh, you know that as a parent, every parent is listening knows that raising kids can be tough. But when they get to the teenage, that's when the real rebellion begins and when all that stuff, because they can actually storm out of the house. They can actually maybe get in their own cars and drive away. There's more worry, more concern, more fear. So I think that could have added another element to this uh, as well. And maybe Mary starts uh, this flirtation or something with Vinny, who is 18 or 19 or 20, and it becomes something uh, even worse for for Michael. I don't know. Just uh, that would have been fun too. John, you just put a funny picture in my head. I wasn't laughing at your idea, but no, okay. just just the mental image of her bringing home whenever she's 14 or whatever her first <laughs> boyfriend and having to meet 
<laughs> Michael Corleone. You're right. right. <laughs> Every dad is intimidating, but that would be a whole new level of him just surrounding him with threatening <laughs> people. So yeah. why do you think you're good for my daughter? <laughs> it's like, Neary, get him well, a coffee. Get him a coffee. <laughs> well, and and do do the sequence of him actually trying to heal the relationship with his kids who hate him. Right. right. You know, yeah. and, and trying to present to them that he actually is legitimate when in fact he still isn't and is fighting this battle secretly and then you could kill mary you could still have that tragic ending yeah yeah but have it because he and and let his pride get in the way and let his you know let's see all of his character flaws and see them become self-destructive you know and maybe then we could even have something redemptive who knows but yeah, that, that's that's my thought at the moment. I mean, having that moment, if you cast the right young actor to play Tony or Antonio and having him say, you killed Fredo, you killed this, you know, you did this, you did your own family, your own blood, your own blah, blah, blah. That confrontation between father and son about the loss of someone so important to Michael in his life, but also someone who was really important to Anthony in his life at that formative, in those formative years, I think that scene would have been stellar to see well, played out in the godfather and and you have because you have him discover it in the film one of the things that sucks yeah. is that they already know it it isn't a big deal so let's say michael's trying to heal, heal his relationship with his son he's just getting to a place yes. where they're starting to reconnect and anthony's starting to trust him and then anthony discovers that michael killed fredo right and then what if it's anthony who unknowingly betrays michael to Vinny and almost costs michael his life does Michael at that point, there's a Fredo connection there. And what does Michael do at that point? What's the challenge? Well, and what if Anthony and Vinny are friends? You know, Anthony yeah. has reached out to his, you know, his cousin and his being kind of drawn into the, he's either going to go into the legitimate world or he, Vinny's trying to pull him into the illegitimate world. And the moment of discovery that his father killed his uncle is what drives him into the illegitimate world. Now being yeah. in conflict with his father. Oh, see, it's Shakespeare. There's Shakespeare things to explore here that Coppola could have done instead of Tony wanting to lead an opera in fucking Sicily somewhere. And oh. If you could have caught him before Apocalypse Now, so that he's still in his prime, that would <laughs> yeah. have been an amazing directing job, probably. Good point. I think Apocalypse Now, as Steve said in our review of of Coppola, destroyed him, and I don't think he's ever been the same director since. It just took too much out of him. Kind of like Michael sitting on the chair. Old, yeah. Maybe. Uh, anything else, John? Thank you so much for all the donations today. Thanks for coming in and appreciate the words, man. Well, last thing will be a request. I mm. I have terrible timing because I caught you guys with Lord of the Rings right after you just finished an epic three-part <laughs> saga. So that's not going to happen for a while. And last year, uh, 13 Assassins turned 10 years old right as you guys finished Ooh. your month of Kurosawa. And I was like, well, they're not doing another samurai movie for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I would love to request that for one of these or an official episode or whatever you uh, guys could manage. That uh, is as, as far away from The Godfather. <laughs> I, to- I, I totally do that. Yeah, yep. I would be 13 Assassins. Well, I love yeah. that movie. Man. It's my favorite movie of all time. So wow. I, I would love for I would love for you guys to do it. <laughs> I respect that, John. That's awesome. All right, cool. Well, thanks Good for coming man. in, man. Appreciate it. You've got a great mic and a great voice. I love your setup, dude. And shout out to your poster. Shout out to your yeah, poster. Yeah, I need to get him hung, but yes, yeah. thank yeah. you. <laughs> respect. All right, see you, brother. Thanks, John. That was John Getz. Good stuff. All right, Jamie is waiting. Uh, can we bring him in, Steve? Or you got to roll? You got you got time for a few? No, no, I'm, I, okay. I'm good until like ten minutes to four. Okay, so, cool. So I'm All still good for a while. What's up, Jamie? How are you? <laughs> what's going on? Uh, nothing much. Uh, this is really cool. I love your podcast. Um, 
you guys got me to buy Apocalypse Now after reading your listening to your podcast again. I was like, I love this movie so much. And I knew my father would be okay with me buying it because it was his favorite movie. And he, he wasn't a big fan of physical media, but I, I bought it and he was like, and we watched the movie. He loved it. And then we watched, uh, per your recommendation, um, heart of dark, heart of darkness. And he Hearts also was amazed by that as well. And we were, we were just, he was a huge fan of Coppola. And so watching this, it's now that I think about it. Yeah. It's a very good relationship between me and my father. It was his couple of movies. We didn't talk a ton, but he, when I watched Apocalypse Now, he was just quoting it verbatim. I was like, Dad, can I just watch the movie? <laughs> it's so funny, the things that you get that are just connective points, particularly, I mean, how many times have fathers and sons come up on the cinephiles? A, yeah. a lot, yeah. you know? And, and you know, I know for John, the Godfather movies are connected to his father, yep. mm-hmm. you know? And for me, it's like old westerns. That's what I used to watch with my dad, you know? Yeah, yeah. And sports stuff. Sports <laughs> stuff, man. <laughs> Steve. with such reverence he says sports stuff <laughs> well so uh so what has been, have you played him any of our uh episodes any of our episodes on it is do you think he's not gonna wouldn't be into that at all oh um my father uh passed uh three years ago oh i'm sorry i thought you meant it was current i apologize jamie then no, uh, please accept my sympathies. Right. Yeah, it was okay. but um no it was just uh it was wonderful um and uh I'm sure he would have enjoyed your podcast and hmm. and and gotten a kick out of it. And oh, I see what you're saying. It. You're saying when we first started the show, yes, you listened to that Apocalypse Now episode, and that's what you bought. And then you and your father kind of bonded over that movie because we inspired you to buy the movie. Is that correct? Well, no, no, no. I I, I had I had seen it before, but okay, your, your podcast that jazzed me up is like, okay, I'm buying the movie. I'm gotcha. watching this again. Okay. I'm just like, I, I just want to see this movie again so much, and seeing it uh, again and owning it. My dad was like, okay, I'm fine that you bought this, and this is fun to watch. So I, I'm not that's, upset with you. That, that, that's great, and I'm so, and sorry. I mean, you know, you're yeah. you, John and I are both in that club, and yeah. it's a it's a tough it's a it's a tough club. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Much love to you, man. Uh, do you have another comment or question for us? Yes, I do. So okay. um, kind of uh, not not to really bag. We've just said love for Coppola, and I, I adore and worship Coppola. He is one of the greats of cinema. But I do wonder, we've talked about, you, you've touched on, on artists coming back and sometimes coming back a bit too late for to the same work. Of, I feel the same with, even though I like some of these movies, but... Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You've got not, the not uh, familiar with that film. So. <laughs> you've got Prometheus. You've got the prequels. You've got these great artists that come back. And the only one that I could maybe make a case for is, is arguably Woody Allen with Matchpoint, where he basically remade Crimes and Misdemeanors. And even that, it's a fun movie, but it's half mm. if not a tenth of the movie that crimes and misdemeanors is and so i just wonder why do you think that happens to artists is is it just something that you can't really explain why is it one that they feel that they should come back to their work and why is it that it just that lightning in the bottle doesn't strike twice it's a uh, great question so so the first thing and i know i say this over and over again on the podcast but making movies is really hard 
It's really, really hard. Making a bad movie is really hard. And there's weird, it's true. I mean, there's the same amount of stress and scheduling Mm -hmm. and budgeting and reversals. There's all sorts of hard stuff in making a bad film. And there's a weird alchemy that makes a movie work. You know, in Godfather 2, there's all this ambiguity and it makes the movie great. And in Godfather 3, there's these things I don't understand and it doesn't make the movie great. I also think that, you know, there's the expression you can't, you know, dip your hand into the water of a river, you know, the same water two, two times. That is not how that quote goes, but I yeah. can't remember it exactly. Is that you can't go home again? Yeah, you yeah. you are who you the the filmmaker who makes a great film. It has to be personal. It ha, it has to sync with them, and that you you know as you think about early Steven Spielberg and the way he showed a family, whether it was in Jaws or in Close Encounters or in ET, and he's the child of divorce and he's dealing with the things that he's de- he can't make that movie again. Mm-hmm. That's not who he is anymore. And good filmmakers find a way to. Cont- I'm sorry. Let me change that. I just said the very very few great filmmakers who make films that are great over a long period of time find a way to continue to make it personal. And I don't think, I don't think Coppola could go back to the Godfather in 1989 when he was making this movie. You know? Yeah. And, and look, we're, we're all men. We all have that moment. And look, you can watch it through sports athletes, right? Michael <laughs> Jordan doesn't drive to the rim in his thirties. Like he did in his twenties, mm-hmm. you adjust, you adjust. And when you come back to try to do something that you did in the past, you can't do it the way you did before because you're not that person anymore. And that's that's all that's been the truth for everybody in life. You can't go back to something you were. Shaq said it once. He said 29 uh, 39 eight, 29, bro, and that's the truth. You can't go and repeat yeah. what you did in the past because you've lived a different life experiences since that point. Like rappers, once they get that fame or once they get to that position, yeah. it's hard to rap about how hard it is or how the struggle and all yeah. that shit. You can't do it anymore because you've achieved mm-hmm. success. And so th- those those things that change. So try going back and recapturing some of the magic and ignoring what you've experienced, I think, is what uh, what leads to trouble when you're trying to revisit a property. Uh, and sometimes it's better to ignore your instincts to go back to recapture your youth because it's never it's it's gone you know and you have to move on which is a hard thing to do trust me the the other weird phenomenon is that uh movies are more alchemy than they are science and 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 what's so interesting to me is listening to coppola's commentary track on the godfather and Mm -hmm. also hearing things that lucas said about the prequels Mm -hmm. or is that oh you didn't get what made your movie good in the first place on a on some level you know, yeah. like the fact that Lucas's least favorite Star Wars film is Empire Strikes Back, which is probably the greatest Star Wars film, tells us part of why the prequels are less good. Although I know people love the prequels, and if you love the prequels, that's great. Like the the that the why the movie works isn't exactly always what the director was intending. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which is weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Um, all right, Jamie, we've got to, we got to let you go. We've got to jump on some of these stream labs and super tests before we run out of time with Steve. Thank you so much for coming thank in you. and thank you so much for sharing your memory with your father. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jamie. Definitely. All right. Let me put the brand back up and let's jump into, you got some stream labs there, Steve. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next one is AJ Daniels. Michael is the character we follow throughout this franchise, but do you think Vito is the heart and soul of this franchise? Yes. I think it's a good, I think it's a good way to put it. I think he, I think he hovers over everything. Yes, absolutely. Even, 
even in the third film, uh, it's Altobello who says to Mike in the backseat of the car, you know, uh, your father he taught you some lessons. So you left you. He said, my father taught me many lessons. So it's like there's always the dad aspect of it all. You're right, Steve, for sure. Um, yeah, it's a great point. Okay. Uh, I think that's the last stream lab or there's or unless I'm missing one. Did you refresh the page just in case? Oh, let me. Sometimes that helps as well. Um, yeah. The speaking of trilogies, uh, oh, AJ Daniels one. Okay, cool. Yeah, hold on. Uh, hold on. Oh, there it is. Speaking of trilogies, are you guys going to do the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies one day? <laughs> well, we're not going to do all of them. That's for sure. Uh, I. I think Cinephiles Live would be a great place to talk about those movies. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. I don't know that I'd want to do a full episode. I like them. Mm-hmm. I like the first two. Um, yeah. I'd rather, I would do one. I would do a Cinephiles on Into the Spider-Verse. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's the Spider-Man movie that we would do on our show more than anything else. But yeah, revisiting those Raimi films for something like this would be fun for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, all right, we've got some super chats here. St- Martinez show says, loved the exploration. I saw Coda just for this. I thought it was fine. If you had to ask Coppola one question about the Godfather, what would it be and why that question? Not sure if this has been asked. Uh, yes, yeah, it is. It has not been asked. Huh, what question would I? Uh, here's what I would ask. I would ask what character in the Godfather do you see yourself in the most? Ooh, good question. Good question. that's a tough that's a tough uh i guess i would ask him what's the honest truth now that you're older now that you've you know you're getting close to the end of your life i want the honest truth here why did you do the godfather part three in 1990 uh why didn't you wait until you were ready to do it uh and you felt inspired to do it why tell me why be honest don't fucking lie to me be honest that's what i would say that's it man this is a tough interview (laughs) <laughs> don't fucking lie to me man <laughs> i know mark Marin. you know he's kind of. uh, matthew korea says thank you matthew for the very kind donation it says love you guys and thanks for everything you do question is question is raging bull a movie you guys would consider doing also thanks so much for already doing three of my patreon picks inglorious bastards back to the future and the godfather uh Matt, uh, Steve, I think we absolutely would do Raging Bull, right? It's it's been on the schedule at least twice that I can remember. A hundred percent, we should do it. It's a great film. I haven't seen it in a long time. It's it's a tough one, yeah. uh, and it's really really good. So of course, yeah, totally yeah. do it. Agreed. Uh, Philip Hunt says, "Would you ever cover the Big Chill? Great film." Hmm. I haven't seen it in a long time. I mm-hmm. used to love it. I had the soundtrack as a million people did. I listened to it all the time. Mm-hmm. I would be afraid that it wouldn't hold up that well, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Right. What about right. you? Uh, I would think I would do it for something like this, but I wouldn't. And maybe we're revisiting Lawrence Kasdan films in a conversation on the cinephiles live. Sure. That would be fun. I think more than anything else, even though we've done Silverado. Yeah. I don't know if Big Chill is necessarily one that kind of gets me that excited. Uh, but who knows? Maybe our older fans would be into it who loved that movie. Uh, Ed Buskirk says, can we get a St- Scott Man Star Trek V? Well, not no. a Star Trek V. Not five, But we shall see. I mean, if, if, yeah, but I mean, certainly we all love Star Trek. We do. And I love talking to Scott about Star Trek. Right. And there's an even-numbered film we haven't touched on yet in That's the right. original series so 
Who knows? Who knows? All right. Nathan Pollock says, what are your thoughts on the upcoming movie about the making of The Godfather? Right. And casting Oscar Isaac as Coppola. Yeah, that's right. I knew nothing about this until seeing this. Really? Yeah, I'm not. You know, I know a lot about things in the past, John. You're much more (laughs) up on things in the present. Because I have to be. (laughs) Um, But uh, that sounds great. I'm uh, I'm all I'm on board. Yeah. So here's uh, Barry Levinson is doing it. He's directing it. Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I know. Weird. Oscar Isaac is going to play Francis Ford Coppola, and Jake Gyllenhaal apparently is going to play Robert Evans. Okay, I it, what was Barry Levinson's last good movie? Uh, <laughs> Steve. And I love some Barry Levinson movies. By the talk way, talk about a tough interview. Talk about a tough interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not here, John. That's true. Good point. Uh, well, let's see. Chris, uh, you know a movie that a movie we could never we wouldn't do on the cinephiles, but maybe we do it here. A movie I love is Tin Men. Yeah, Tin Men is great. That's a lot of fun. His last movie um, was something called Rock the Casbah, which I don't know anything about with Bill Murray, uh, written by Mitch Glazer. But he also did that Paterno movie where Al Pacino played Joe Paterno, Mm. which is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Um, I didn't ignore him. Uh, All right. Uh, Man of the Year he did in 2006. Envy, that terrible film with Stiller and Jack Black. Bandits. Maybe the last kind of good thing he's done. Um, and then, yeah, Wag the Dog in 97. The, yeah. The, yeah. So it's been a bit. It's uh, yeah. been a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I mean, he, you know, it goes to what we were talking about before. Most directors, they don't have a huge long run of great films. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I love, you know, I, I love The Natural. Diner is a great movie. I totally liked young Sherlock Holmes when he came out. I don't know if I'd like it now. I love yeah. Tin Man. Good Morning Vietnam's great. Rain Man is is a Best Picture winner. I it's, I don't love it quite as much. Avalon yeah. is interesting. Bugsy is to me mixed. There are great things and not great things. And then after right. that, maybe Wag the Dog. Yeah, maybe. See, you know. So, so it's a uh, really good run. And then you know. Yeah, yeah. Elle Fanning is going to play Ali McGraw. Okay. Um, Elizabeth Moss has joined the cast, but I don't, and she's going to play Eleanor Coppola, who is Francis Ford okay. Coppola's wife. So, by yeah, the way, yeah. I think Elizabeth Moss has the most impressive TV resume. She is literally in three of the great shows of TV history. Yeah, West West Wing, Mad Men, and um, Handmaid's Tale. Like Handmaid's that's Tale, amazing. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, we should wrap up here. Justin Toner says, will you guys be doing more Hitchcock and Kurosawa? The answer yes. is yes, yes, absolutely. How could we not? Um, and we have one more person waiting to talk to us, Steve, if we can make the question quick before we get out of here. Yep. Nick Aratakis. Hello, Nick. Let me take the brand down so people can see your face. Hello. How are Hi. you, Nick? I'm, I'm very good. How are you guys? Uh, thank you very much for spending all this time thinking about the Godfather films. It's been, it's been really enjoyable. Thank uh, you, they're, they're two of the most important movies in my life. And I've really enjoyed revisiting them with you guys. I had just three kind of relatively trivial things. I want okay. to mention, I'm sorry if they're not really deep uh, questions about the films first uh, in watching Coda, which I watched this morning mm. uh, to get ready for this. Um, I was struck by, uh, I didn't notice it the first time I watched three about how they, I think they tried to make um, uh, Garcia, look 
or kind of mirror De Niro as the young Vito mm. in his posture, mm. his movements. There's even a moment where he does the the hand gesture, the, oh, finger, yeah. the finger to oh. the head. Right. Good point. He, he's standing in profile a lot, kind of like De Niro does. I thought that was interesting. Nice uh, catch. Secondly, yeah. um, when you were talking about part two, uh, you talked a lot about Hyman Roth, and I really appreciated that. One thing you guys didn't mention, and I just bring it up in case you didn't know this, the scene where the landlord comes to Jenko Olive Oil to talk to Vito, and he lowers mm -hmm. the rent, and he fumbles to get out. After that, mm -hmm. Vito and Jenko run out into the street, or walk into the street, to see the sign go up. Right. And Tessio and Clemenza are there. A car goes by, almost hits him. They yell at him. There's a young man standing behind them, and that's the young Hyman Roth. Really? Yes. Oh, how did I didn't know that? Is that from the deleted scenes? Because oh, there's that, a that, that, no, he, this is in the movie. They show okay. the shot of all of them standing there looking up at the sign, and behind right. them, doesn't say anything, is the young Hyman Roth. If you look at the deleted scenes, yes, there's a scene where Clemenza brings him in and says, I found mm -hmm. this guy in the street. He doesn't have a home, very much like Tom Hagen, mm. you know, like wow. Sammy bringing in Tom Hagen. And he says he's really good with cars. I think maybe we could find some work for him. And Vito says, you know, what's your name? And he says, Hyman Suchowski. And they say, Suchowski, that's a not a really good name. Who's Who do you admire most? And he says, Arnold Rothstein. And he says, Rothstein, we call you Hyman Rothstein. <laughs> and, and then, wow. of course, you see him very briefly in the actual movie. Uh, the, the third thing, uh, back in the 90s, I was working at a bookstore in New York, The Strand, a huge used bookstore. One night, Bruno Kirby came in. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, Bruno Kirby, I have to ask him about one of the things I've always thought about in Godfather 2, which is that when he and Vito go to the house to steal the rug and mm. the police officer comes to the door, Clemenza pulls the gun. He's standing against the wall. He holds it up to the door and he leans back on his heels. Mm. And it always struck me as a really weird thing. Why is he doing that? And he said, well, when they gave me, Bruno Kirby said, when they gave me the prop gun, I was surprised at how heavy it was. So <laughs> I thought that the character would balance himself by leaning back to balance the weight of the gun. He was very nice and really enjoyed yeah. talking about it. And I really enjoyed talking with him. That's but anyway, awesome. that's just another little. Uh, oh, that's great. Of something. Thank that's you. Again. Very Those much. were really good trivia. Thank yeah. you so much, Nick. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Really that's appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, awesome. All right, thank you, Nick. You know, I love talking to the fans and the great experiences they have, it's, and it's so it's what we're doing the show to be more connected yeah. with you all. Yeah, yeah. This has been this has been fun. I think I I don't think I've read this uh, okay. streamlab yet from Justin Toner. Says really enjoyed the conversation. I will be going back and listening to your previous shows now since you've covered so many films that I love, like Blade Runner, Seven Samurai, Rear Window, and more. I love in depth talk about movies like this. Thanks, guys. Well. You picked some of my favorite of our episodes, so yeah. so those are, those are good ones to start with. Absolutely, thank you, Justin is a, a patron of the Outlaw Nation as well, and he's helping me prep for my matches coming up. So, Justin, oh, great nice. to hear you coming aboard the Cinephiles train as well. You are in for an enjoyable, enjoyable time uh, discovering all of our episodes, and you'll get you and you'll enjoy how we've progressed as a show as well, Justin. So let us know what you think. Let me know what you think in our Hangouts uh, definitely as well. So thank you so much. And thanks to everybody who joined us today. Thanks for all your Streamlabs and your Super Chats. You all were incredibly kind and generous today. We will be doing this once a month. So uh, you, we'll let you know what our subject is going to be for April. But that is what we're going to do. Plan on it. We'll be doing a movie. I'm uh, sorry, a show 
uh, every month live, uh, the Cinephiles live for us. And, and so we can have these kinds of discussions and hear from you all as well. Um, Steve, please, uh, where can they find you and plug everything we got to do for the Cinephiles, my friend? So uh, we, you can find me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram, the cinephiles you can follow at cine underscore files on Twitter, the cinephiles podcast on Instagram. Of course you can support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, which is uh, a place where you can put your picks in where we haven't been as fast as getting to people's picks as we like, but you also get to listen to our cinephile shorts that we put up every week where we talk about to- topics ranging from, Food to politics to movies to TV to acting to science to the meaning of life. All of that happens on Cinephile Shorts. Um, and uh, I think that's it. Did I say every? Oh, and if you wanted to buy uh, Godfather Coda or any other film, you can buy it or stream it through Amazon Prime by going to cinephiles.net. That's cine-files.net. And every single one of our episodes has its own page. You can listen to the show on that on those pages, and you can uh, stream the episode through Amazon Prime. So definitely check that out. There you go. And Vito Salvegi says, John, Steve, you guys 100% did justice to these movies over the last several weeks. It's been a joy. Among your best work, thanks for everything. Well, thank you, Vito. It's very kind of you. And thank you to everybody again who joined us. You can follow me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cinephiles channel. We drop all our episodes on here and on the podcast feed as well, so you can listen to it any way you'd like. And, uh, you know, we'll be doing these uh, episodes every month, so subscribe to get the Click that bell so you'll get the notice when we're doing a live show and get ready for it for sure. Uh, and don't forget to share this episode as well as it's a unique new show we're doing for the Cinephile. So please share this, get people aboard. Maybe they'll come and join one of our live discussions about a filmmaker or a film they enjoy and then go and subscribe to the Cinephiles as well. So please do your part to help us out and we'll go from there. And like Steve said, our Patreon as well. All right, we're out of here. Much love to all of you. We'll talk to you next time uh, for another brand new episode of the Cinephiles Live. That's uh, I'm John Roca. That's Steve Morris. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace.